Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our weekly Penguins chat. Andrew Destin with our very own Matt Wenzel, of course, as always. Um, a lot to get into on this week's podcast, as you can see below me. Um, of course, talking about Matt's story that uh, came out on post-gazette.com this past Sunday is a uh, chat with Tom, Warman, uh, Tom Warner, the chairman of Fenway Sports Group, uh, this past Sunday. But before we get into that, which there's a lot to cover, I want to remind you that this podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your new home or in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella windows and doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. Again, that's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. All right, Matt. Well, the biggest takeaway, I'm going to say it firsthand for me. Uh, Tom Warner wants Penguins at live Penguins at Penguins games. That's the biggest takeaway from this, right? I agree, yes. Which I think they have had the Penguins. Didn't they have the Penguins at a recent game? But, yeah, um, it, it was funny because he gave a lot of, like, honest but, you know, kind of – calculated answers to my questions, but then I don't know where he's like, yeah, I want to have penguins at games. Now his logic actually, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's, there's research that says if you come to a game at a young age and you get hooked, you're going to come back, you make lifelong fans. I know this is a big part of what Fenway has done with all their teams trying to, you know, reel in the fans early. And I think we can all relate to it with our own favorite teams. I mean, I remember, um, you know, going to hockey games when I was a kid and, and, you know, I still love hockey today. So it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, if, if you need to get some live penguins in the, in the door to get some fans in, sure, go for it. Question is, can live penguins do better on the power play? I think that's a question their research and development team needs to look into. We're just coming up firing with these quips. I love it, man. Um, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, penguins would be sliding around the ice too. So who, who's to say, but uh, I guess one question I want to get off the off the bat here is what kind of prompted you to pursue this piece just before we get into the nuts and bolts of it more uh, more so was it uh, with it being the two year anniversary of FSG acquiring? That's exactly it. That's your answer. I'll cut you right off. Um, <laughs> you know, people have been kind of wondering what's been the team has been up to. I, I don't. I never really understood it. I mean, there was criticism last year. Um, that it was absentee ownership and people were questioning like the team's investment or, or, or Fenway's investment in the Penguins. And it never made a ton of sense to me. Um, but I, you know, with the two year anniversary coming up late, late November, I said, let's check in because they have accomplished a lot. I mean, we've seen what they've done um, in hockey operations with Dubas and the big Carlson trade. Um, they gave out a ton of money to a few guys two years ago, which is why it was silly that people were like, oh, are these guys cheap? Are they invested? Like, what's the vision? The vision is that they're trying to trying to win now, right or wrong. Um, but they've also had a lot of wins on the business side. I mean, you know. We can talk about the sellout streak. I know it ended, but, you know, they feel like they're actually, um, you know, making more money, even if they're not selling out. And they were quick to say, look, like we're going to reapply that to the arena. We're going to put it in the hockey team. Like we're going to give fans a better product. And you look at the upgrades at the arena, some of the things they've done, what they're trying to do outside of the arena. So, yeah, in two years, um, it's been pretty, uh, pretty eventful for uh, Fenway. They've got a lot accomplished on and off the ice. Yeah, and you bring up that business side. That's probably a good launching off point there. There's a lot of construction that Penguins fans, I'm sure, 
see when they come to these games. But, you know, that development, just to expand upon that further, I mean, what are some of the things that are kind of in store just based on that chat you had with Warner as well as what you've been able to delve into research on your own? Like, what are some of the big picture, I guess, initiatives that it seems like uh, is important to this ownership group on that old Civic Arena site? And I guess just the, um, I guess, Arena District, whatever you want to call it in general. Well, that's exactly it. I mean, they've had this land, they inherited this land. It's just trying to figure out what to do with it. Um, you know, we do see, what is it, the FN, FNB Bank building or yeah. whatever? Or is there FNB that looks like it's, at least the exterior is about done. Um, but it's the land there. They want to build it up. I know the Penguins are pushing to try to get some sort of, they call it an intimate concert venue. They have something similar in Boston, Fenway does. But I mean, look, any fan who has gone to the games at PPG Paints Arena, like knows when before the game, after the game, there's not a ton to do in that area. I mean, just like simply put, there's not a lot of restaurants, you know, after games from time to time, we want to go get a beer after writing about uh, the team, you know, before heading home, one beer, and there's not a lot of options. So I, I think it makes sense for them to want to take advantage of that land. But as we've seen, um, you know, even dating back to the previous ownership group, like getting that resolved and approved and kind of getting everything launched off uh, is easier and said than done. But, you know, it makes sense for them to want to, you know, build up that area. One, um, you know, it's good for the fans to get them to want to come down to the games. And two, it's it's good for their pockets. Right. want to launch into some of other stuff related to off the ice, uh, you know, interest, I guess, with this team or the, the uh, ownership group before we get into some roster construction. But um, another big picture thought that came to mind to me was, um, what's kind of happening with the Penguins in terms of the digital offerings? I know you chatted with Warner a little bit about that in terms of what the future looks like for the Penguins with regional sports networks. So that's obviously still a very changing landscape, whether that's in hockey or any of the you know major pro sports. Um, they seem to be happy, is that fair to say, with where they're at still with TV viewership, but maybe some more stuff on the horizon. Is that fair to say? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, you know, Tom Warner is a TV producer. I mean, he... Um, worked on Roseanne. Um, what is it? The, the spinoff after Roseanne got canceled. What was it? The Connors, um, the 70s show. I mean, this guy is a TV producer who has been attached to a few big hits. Um, so you would think, yeah, like he understands the value of cable and television, but he also sees where the industry is going. Fenway sees where it's going. So, yeah, they thought it was important to purchase um, Sportsnet Pittsburgh when Everything hit the fan with Warner Brothers Discovery to make sure that fans could watch it on their TVs at home. But they also see where everything's trending and that more and more people um, are cutting the cord. I know that I have not against my will. My wife cut the cord, unfortunately. Um, but so they are planning something in terms of a streaming service. I mean, I don't know a ton about it, but I do know up in Boston they have what is it? Nesson 360 yep. um, where the Red Sox games. I don't know what else they, they have on there. I don't know if they have like Celtics and other sports and stuff like that. But the, the key thing is here is, yeah, they're trying to figure out something similar to give Penguins fans a, a chance to, to stream games if they don't have cable. And um, so I, I think that's, that's smart of them to, to kind of want to have like a foot on each side of this divide here where they want to appease everyone, but they also kind of understand like, okay, we, we got to evolve with the times. Yeah, you mentioned with Nesson. I mean, that's just kind of a, a hallmark, I guess, of FSG. has kind of been ahead of the curve a little bit when it comes to both regional sports networks as well as those offerings has been you know, kind of a little bit ahead of the game. So I'm not surprised, uh, really, to put it uh, put it frankly, that they're trying to be a little bit ahead of this initiative as well. Um, kind of jump into some on-ice stuff now as we're approaching 
um, about a third of the way through this. want to talk to you about the roster. Um, I believe I'm getting this word for word here with this quote that um, Warner said that he wanted to leave it to Kyle and the hockey operations staff to strengthen the team. Um, this is in re- uh, reference, of course, to, you know, just plainly how the roster is constructed uh, with the bottom part of the lineup versus the top of the big three and all of that. So I um, just want to ask you, when you hear that quote, what do you kind of initially gather from Warner with response to maybe next moves, satisfaction with the team, just kind of take us into that thought process. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clear they're not happy with the way the team has played. Um, Warner said as much, um, you know, both he and John Henry watch a lot of these games, if not all of these games. Um, so they're watching the team, they see the struggles, they know, you know, they're not saying anything that, you know, we all don't see and that, right. you know, those inside the, you know, hockey operations aren't feeling. So, yeah, they know they need to be better. They didn't, you know, sign off on this big Carlson trade for the team to miss the playoffs. So um, that goes without saying. But the big takeaway is is they believe in Cal Dubas. They think he's a great executive. They're very excited about him. And, you know, they like everything he's done to build up kind of the infrastructure inside hockey operations as well. So, you know, to me, that didn't his comments didn't scream like we need to fix this now. If anything, it's like we trust in Kyle to sort this out. Um, you know, and he also just stated the obvious, the team has a depth issue and, you know, I don't really know what they can do to address that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Did you come away with that thinking something else there? I mean, it sounds like you're trying to go all like clickbait aggregator (laughs) mode and be like big trades coming, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't, what, what I'll say is I don't get, I don't get the sense that Fenway, um, nothing about their, their, you know, track record here. And I, I don't think anywhere else says that um, ownership is going to step in and be like, Hey, you need to do this or that. I think the point here is like, they, they, you know, um, Tom said in an interview, like, look, we're, we're not, we don't know hockey as well as Kyle Dubas and Mike Sullivan. We know that we trust them to get the job done. And I think they'll give them all the resources they need to have success, but they're not going to be waiting into uh, hockey operations decisions too, too often. Yeah, I think my my takeaway was probably the inverse, right? That it, what kind of came as maybe a little bit of a surprise to me is that there should be no concern or that, you know, any fans' concerns about, hey, the Penguins are going to blow this up because it's not working, that any of those concerns can kind of be tabled for the time being. And I say that just based off the conversation of the big three and how Carlson was kind of included in that group, it felt like, um, which, you know, shouldn't be a surprise considering this is the ownership that kind of ownership group that headed that trade. But um, to me, it kind of sounded like, yeah, like you maybe mentioned earlier, whether right or wrong that the Penguins are invested. That was my main main takeaway was that um, the ownership group, like you mentioned, they're going to be hands off with this. They're going to leave it to the hockey up staff. But there's no top down initiative of, hey, if it doesn't work right now or in the next month that we're just going to blow this up and restart from scratch. It sounds to me like they're still pretty darn invested and believe that the the core, even aging, is the right one to have here. Well, he said that it was their fervent desire to re-sign Sidney Crosby. So selling off all their star players isn't a way to re-sign Sidney Crosby. Plain and simple, right? I mean, look, this is just like we can set aside my conversation with Tom Warner aside and just look at the situation um, just as analysts here. I mean, yeah, if this team continues to go into the tank um, and it's clear they're going to miss the playoffs, it would be very surprising if they sold off you know, their core players, plus there's no trade clauses involved. But like, okay, a guy like Riley Smith, maybe, or Raquel, maybe. I mean, we're talking maybe those kind of players could get moved if the team continues to go in this downward spiral. But I don't think they're 
touching the top end guys. Um, you know, I, I think they, they, I mean, just look at the way they're playing. I know Gino has, has not been great over the last few months to put it lightly, but the rest of the guys have, have played well. Um, you know, it's not the it's not the star players that are letting him down beyond the power play, which obviously is one example where the star players are letting him down. Right. You mentioned Sid. Um, this was one thing that also kind of piqued my interest a little bit from reading your piece was um, that seems like Warner is pretty, you know, strong in that relationship that he does have with Crosby's agent. I mean, how important do you think that is for the conversation of, hey, keeping Crosby here past 2025? Or is that, you know, maybe overstating it, looking into it too much, just given that Crosby maybe wants to be here a penguin as long as he wants that it's more of the balls in his corner, but you know, I guess it can't be a bad thing, right. For Warner to have as good a relationship as he seems to have with Crosby's agent. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, they got to figure out the terms of a deal, um, you know, but you're right. I mean, it's up to Sid if he wants to stick around and he's given like zero indications that he would ever want to leave. Um, and to the point about Pat Persson, his agent and the relationship with Tom Warner, I mean, my, my reading between the lines on that was just like, okay, like these guys have a good relationship. They already probably have a pretty good feel um, for what each side is thinking heading into the summer when they're able to offer Sid a new contract extension. So um, to me, it just kind of signals that they're, they're probably on the same page about what each one wants to accomplish here. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I would be incredibly surprised if they don't get a deal done with Sidney Crosby this summer. Right. It was uh, one other thing, I guess, on the note of Warner's interactions with players, agents, things of that nature was um, something that he mentioned also is the communication is pretty important to him, how he texts with some of the players. And I imagine that's probably more the marquee guys, right? That's your Crosby's, your little tanks, et cetera. But um, from your experience, you know, obviously <laughs> a lot more years of reporting than I have at the pro level here, especially. I mean, how does that kind of compare to other other ownership groups in your dealings as a uh, reporter? as well as maybe relative, if possible, to the Penguins' previous ownership group? Yeah, I think it's normal. I mean, look, all owners are different. I mean, I know this is a hockey podcast right now, but if you look at the NFL, look at the Carolina Panthers. They have an owner who, Tepper, who what, used to be with yep. the Steelers, I think, like mm-hmm. is meddling in everything, and the team can't get out of its own way as a result. You see with other NFL teams where they do it. So, you know, being hands-on isn't necessarily a good thing. I mean, I think – Fenway has tried to walk that balance. I mean, they do have relationships with the players. They want to, you know, be around a little bit, but they also don't want to be constantly around. Um, You know, I think that's why, like, last year when there was the chatter about, oh, this absentee ownership, I I just thought it was completely misguided um, and just, frankly, inaccurate. I mean, these guys were around. They had communication with people. They have Dave Beeston, um, who's from Fenway, who was around the team throughout last year, observing, trying to see how things were going, and obviously, you know, his read on the situation and feedback kind of help them get to the point where like, okay, we need to, we need to change our front office leadership. Not that they needed <laughs> anybody could have told them to do that. I know 18,000 fans at PPG paints arena did that. So, you know, they were around just because they weren't front and center holding press conferences. Like, you know, Tom Warner said, Hey, we're not in the locker room after games, but like, look, I, I, I covered the Lemieux era as owner for four years. And this is no shot at Lemieux at all. Um, but I didn't hear him give a press conference. I rarely saw him around either. So I don't, I thought it was kind of unfair for everyone to be like, well, these guys are absentee, but you know, and I understand it's a unique ownership situation here in Pittsburgh. It was previously where you have like one of the two, three greatest players ever buy the team, save the team. Um, 
you know, fans loved him. He's a part of Pittsburgh. And meanwhile, Fenway is, you know, a big corporation that has a few teams now and is headquartered in Boston. I get it. But these guys are invested. Just look at the money. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my rant here. I can't even remember what you asked, but um, I, I think it's a good balance, honestly. Like you don't want these guys meddling or saying, oh, man, we're we're struggling. Trade everyone. Like I think they were like, OK, like let's find the right executive. Let's find our Theo Epstein for the Penguins. And they believe they did that in Kyle Dubas. And they're going to give them all everything they can possibly give him um, to build the team. And they trust in him to make the right decisions. And um, I did find it interesting. Tom Warner only mentioned Mike Sullivan once, um, you know, just kind of trying to read between lines there with the team struggling. Um, there was a lot of talk about Kyle. Um, so just kind of file that one away. I know that they think very highly of Mike Sullivan, don't get me wrong, but, um, you know, if the team continues to trend in this direction, um, I don't know, I'm interested to see how this plays out. Right. If we're jumping the conversation of, hey, really drastic changes, but in that hypothetical scenario of if the Penguins as an organization are to move off one of those guys, I mean, they brought in Dubas. This is a guy that they pinpointed. Sullivan came from the previous regime. Like, yeah, it wouldn't be a huge shock, at least on my end. Feel free to think differently, but if they were to move off one of those guys, Sullivan would probably be first. But, yeah, there's a reason there. Probably. Right. So, I mean, I mean they just signed Kyle to, I believe, a seven-year deal. Um, yeah, I, I think it would probably, Mike, if it came down to that. But, look, I, I just to be clear, like I think this team would have to go completely down yes. the drain, which maybe they're maybe they're spiraling in that direction right now. But for, for them to make a change in season, I think it would take something pretty drastic. Um, but we are getting to the point where you do wonder, like, what might happen here. Right. And there's a timeline on that, and it's getting closer. It's still maybe a little bit off in the distance. But, I mean, we are in mid-December now. It's not like – I mean, clock's ticking. They're, they're, we're getting closer to the halfway point in the season. So, um, But um, one final thought I had um, about ownership you mentioned with Mario. Um, said uh, I believe Warner said that still keeping in touch with him, um, he's welcome to come back. Um in light of those comments, you know, he didn't, I think he was, it said, didn't think they need to repair a relationship with him. Um, do you imagine a scenario where Mario comes back in a greater capacity at some point, at some time soon? Uh, or is this more Warner, you know, leaving the door open? Hey, you are welcome to come back in a enhanced capacity whenever you want. It's on your terms. Yeah, I'll be honest. I don't have a great read on that situation. I mean, the comments were interesting. Him saying he didn't feel like the relationship needed to be repaired, um, you know, where, you know, our Ron Cook had a column in the spring just about kind of explaining the rift between Mario and Fenway. I know other other reporters have have kind of alluded to it or uh, mentioned about it. I know Mark Madden has tweeted about it or probably talked about it on the radio. Um, so it, th there's obviously something there. So I, I did find it interesting that um, Tom publicly said, like, look, we don't need to repair the relationship. We talk. He also said he expects expects Mario to be there for Yager's retirement. Uh, ceremony in February, but yeah, it's still kind of a, you know, an ambiguous murky situation and I'm not really sure how it's going to be, but you're right. I think his comments at least were more of, you know, the doors open, but you know, I don't know how much Mario is going to want to be involved, um, you know, Rift or not. I mean, this guy has done so much for the city, so much for the franchise um, and he's earned the right to hang out in Quebec or go down to the beach or do whatever the heck he wants to do. Um, but I do think they need to, you know, make sure that he is part of the organization in some capacity, like an active part. It doesn't mean he has to be making decisions. He doesn't have to be at every game. But, 
you want to have a good relationship with your great players. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, hopefully Fenway is able to smooth things over if it still needs to be smoothed over at this point. A lot we touched on there over those 20 minutes. Is there anything else from your conversation with Warner that stands out to you that maybe we didn't touch on or anything else that was surprising or anything else that you didn't get to touch on with him? Any final comments, I guess, uh, on your chat with Warner? Uh, no, I think we touched on all the topics. My my friend, <laughs> Very great, nice. host, great hosting work. <laughs> I tried my, Well, it was a fun read for me, man. I mean, my thought reading it, honestly, I was like, wow, this is like 2,000 words. And it wasn't like you rearranged it into a story or anything. It was you were just transcribing, you know, pretty much every word that he said word for word. And I'm with, you know, light editing, of course. But to me, yeah, I trimmed like, a little bit, but really not a not a ton got cut out. Yeah, I, could, I mean, that's tedious work to me. So I was like, well, kudos to you for putting in the effort. Behind I mean, it beats part. having to like craft a real story. It's just like transcribe, send, you know, <laughs> it's my kind of story. I'm going to do Q&As from now on. Good. Hey, more, more no. the merrier, man. Well, feel free to Q&A me. I don't know that I'll be able to tell you much about Fenway Sports Group, but I mean, I'd be happy to be Q&A'd. No, nobody would read that. <laughs> uh, well, we got a few minutes left here then. I guess uh, best way to segue this is we'll go into our weekly uh, stick taps. Uh, you want to lead us well, off? Why don't we talk about the, I mean, we're at 20 minutes here. We, we should probably talk about what's happened on the ice since we last did this. Oof. I mean, I know I was in the road. Who knows what you were doing? Probably not watching the games, this and that. But, yeah, I mean, three straight losses, only one out of a possible six points on this road trip. Um, they've lost nine out of 12. They did pick up some, you know, overtime shootout losses in there to get some points. But um, sinking into standings. And, yeah, I mean, it's just like think about a month ago. They went out to L.A., um, won three games in a row, part of a five-game winning streak. And it was like, all right this team's getting in gear and then they come back from this three game road trip and not a whole lot of answers. Um, they brought in Yessi Poli Viardi. God, did I say that right? Um, you know, we'll see what he has. He's former number four overall pick kind of disappointment, maybe not kind of a disappointment in Edmonton um, coming off double hip surgery. So I, I don't know if fans should expect anything, but I think it's a worthy tire kick and yeah, some big games coming up here. Um, Arizona Tuesday, the return of Logan Coley before they head up to Canada. So I guess just like, is there one or two things we want to touch on here before we roll into stick taps? I mean, maybe yeah. the power play, what's it like? Oh, of 34, 37 now, 37, I think it is. Yeah. And it's what has passed now the consecutive game streak that was previously the Penguins franchise. Yeah. Record. Yeah. So it's the most games without a power play goal, um, in Penguins history, what's it now, like 13, 14? I think 13, Somewhere right. in yeah. there. So they're not quite to the NHL record there, but getting close. Um, and, geez, like in every one of these games, they had a chance to change the game with the power play, and, you know, it let them down. So um, at least they didn't let up a short-hand goal last game. Yeah, but did it really help having Latang and Carlson out there? Because they still allowed shorthanded opportunities, right? It's not like the double defense spin – that was something that a lot of guys in the room talked about that, oh, this will be better. And at least we won't give up shorthanded goals, but they're still allowing those opportunities, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was that was partially the whole, like, well, let's have two defensemen out there so you don't screw up. But I think it more so was just them really trying to find answers to put it at the other team's net. And they haven't found them yet. No. Certainly has not, and penalty kill, of course, is now struggling a little bit too without Achari and without Nieto. I mean, that's the thing that comes to mind with me. You mentioned, I think I'm 
Pulley Yarvi, I think is what I heard online. I don't know if that's correct at all, but um, with bringing him aboard, I mean, the depth is really being challenged again. And uh, for the first month or two, right, it was all about, hey, like, we got these forwards, we stockpiled in Wilkes, we're going to try these guys and see what we have with them. But this move to me, I mean, to me, it signaled that uh, Dubas and company, they're not content with what's waiting in the wings in the AHL. Um, did you interpret that any differently? Or is this a circumstance of, hey, this is a guy who could be something, former lottery pick who's coming off a really big injury. It's just a total flyer from us. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all those things. I mean, the team is not getting anything from their bottom six, really. Um, you know, you, you look at some of these losses, like the, the, the loss Wednesday in Tampa, like you have Kyle Dubas going on his radio show where he's like, this is a massive game for us. You know, how we respond to these two losses to Philly. Uh, oh, wait, it's four losses in a row, huh? How we yeah. respond to these losses, like, um, you know, like it's 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 massive. And then they come out and just play so poorly. Lars Eller was very critical of the team's effort in Tampa. So, I mean, I think that's concerning. And, and it traces back to these, like, bottom six players. I mean, it's not all them. Um, but you have these guys who are, like, fighting to stay in the NHL, make the NHL, and they're just – you know, some of these guys like Zahorna, for example, Neilander, who's been sent down, just like no juice whatsoever. So, um, yeah, it's concerning. Um, the team is in a rough spot right now. Yeah, and it definitely doesn't help to have guys like Rust and Raquel still shelved, which maybe we'll find out. We're recording this, of course, Monday morning. Um, Mike Sullivan said maybe an update coming soon on Rust. Didn't have one after Sunday's practice. So who knows how that impacts things for the Penguins, but certainly depth being challenged and the power play still coming up very much small potatoes um anything else uh before we wrap this one up and head into our taps or no let's let's tap some sticks let's tap them you're up first matt what do you got i'm gonna go with mark johnstone uh great story nobody wanted to hear it when the penguins lost again in florida but whatever i wrote it anyways um he's an awesome story i mean the fact that he needs to be uh, and the NHL maybe speaks as much as about the team's depth as it does for him. But still, I mean, this guy didn't play in the USHL till he was 19. Um, usually, you know, he, or the minimum age in that la- league is 16. He played for Holy Cross, which is a second tier conference. That's where RMU plays. No knock on RMU, but it's not we're not talking about playing against like, you know, it's not like Hockey East or anything like that. Spent four years there, got cut by an ECHL team before landing in another ECHL team and kind of slowly, gradually climbed the ranks up to the NHL, made his debut at 27, um, kind of was involved in the first Florida goal. Um, so that's not great, but, you know, Mike Sullivan did think he, you know, showed a little bit with his energy and his effort, but great story for him, great story of perseverance. And there's not a lot to feel good about right now. So I like this story. Um, stick taps to Mark Johnstone for sticking with it when I certainly would have given up. And uh, debuting in the NHL at 27. He's still on the team now. We'll see if he's in the lineup uh, Tuesday and Wednesday here. Yeah, looks like he might get a shot. And to your point, yeah, I mean, tremendous story. Loved reading about him, um, especially just given that story of perseverance, like you mentioned. But, yeah, I mean, was, you know, during line rushes, was out there with the fourth line again uh, at Sunday's practice. Looks like he, you know, barring any changes, should get at least a little bit of runway here. So, certainly. And his defense, too. He didn't get a chance to even practice with the team. Like, they flew him in. He flew in. Thursday night or Friday morning, I, th- I think maybe Thursday night, but um, whatever it was, he didn't get a chance to even practice with the team. So, and then he's like out there making his NHL debut, like tough, tough, tough uh, scenario to step into. 
Yeah, plus he probably had to drive to Newark Airport. So, I mean, that's lovely in itself. In and they itself. have a car service for him. He doesn't have to drive unless he really yeah. wanted to, I guess. But uh, I could. No, but then, well, then he would have to leave his car there. Anyways, right. yeah, we're talking sorry. travel logistics here. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I had to make the, the good old Seth Rohrbach comment from our buddy at the Tribune Review. But um, <laughs> uh, for me, on my end, Marcus Patterson, uh, this is a guy that we don't talk about a lot. And that's probably a good thing because it means he's somebody who's not being noticed for anything bad on his end defensively tied for the team lead in plus minus uh, really in, in my uh, observations, he's been excellent and has really slid in seamlessly next to Eric Carlson. Uh, he's been a guy who's an unsung hero, which kind of goes to his reputation uh, with this Penguins team and just kind of his NHL career so far. But on my end, stick taps to Marcus Patterson for what's been an excellent season f- so far from a guy who very easily could be playing for Vancouver Canucks. I believe you pointed that out in your, uh, from the point column this past week. Uh, so, you know, to the Penguins' credit, good that they still have him around here because he's been playing excellent. Yeah, he would have been in the JT Miller trade had that happened. Yeah, yeah. there you go. So, well, uh, that does this week for us on our weekly chat here. Uh, a lot of fun chatting about your story. Uh, your sit down with Tom Warner one-on-one. If you guys haven't already, check that out on post-gazette.com and keep up with the rest of our excellent sports content there. And we'll catch you guys all again next week. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.